Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Marrakesh Formula E weekend and explain who was to blame for BMW drivers' mutual annihilation. The second round of the ABB FIA Formula E Championship in Marrakesh was a dramatic and controversial race, with Andretti BMW teammates Antonio Felix da Costa and Alexander Sims colliding while battling for the lead in the closing stages of the race and handing victory to Mahindra Racing's Jerome D'Ambrosio. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me from Morocco first is Alex Kalinorkas. Now, can you explain exactly where you are and what's going on in the background, please? Hello, Ed, and hello, listeners. Yes, indeed, we are actually sat on the balcony outside the media centre that overlooks the pit lane and the main street here at Marrakesh. Uh, there's a test session going on, uh, the rookie test, so you're not allowed to have been a Formula E race driver before to take part in it. Uh, and as was the case in our Saudi Arabian podcast, as, as we know, didn't record, uh, things are starting to be taken down. I can see that the pit, the, uh, the bridge gantry that had all the nice blue Formula E logos all over it has, uh, is, is, has been, is in a certain state of dismant- being dismantled because it's completely bare now. It does look a little bit, a little bit thread there, but you know, it's all good. Uh, yeah, are you any, da- any danger of anything collapsing onto you? I don't believe I don't believe so because actually this uh, the media centre this time around is in is above the main pit garage. It's in a permanent structure here at the circuit, 
So uh, hopefully nothing be dismantled. Although um, I did see on uh, on the way out of the media centre last night, or as we were coming in and out and chasing people throughout the paddock, uh, one of the glass door, one of, one of the windows was shattered because someone had walked into it. I don't quite know how, <laughs> quite know how that had a bit that had happened. Um, well, we are reliably informed that he is all right. Uh, so that's the main thing. Excellent. Well, it sounds like it's been a uh, a risky place to be. Either way, uh, also joining me is Jake Boxall Leg, making your first Formula E appearance for Autosport. So uh, how was it? It was pretty fun, actually. Uh, I've been to a couple of the Battersea rounds as a fan. Uh, this is the first time I've been here in an official capacity. And it's quite a nice place to be. It's uh, sunny, uh, a little bit cold. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely freezing. The first <laughs> thing in the morning when we arrive, it's like four degrees. And then it's like 20, 22 by the time the race happens. So it's, uh, it's an interesting mix. Anyway, sorry, Jake. It's fine. I'd forgotten what I was about to say anyway, so... <laughs> Good. That's the insight we're looking forward to on this podcast. <laughs> well, let's let's get on with it. The place to start, obviously, is the BMW Mutual Annihilation Act. Uh, Antonio Felix da Costa leading with Alex Sims attacks, and then and then it all went wrong. It was a, a dramatic moment, and certainly I got to enjoy it dramatically as I just come off the Autosport stage at Autosport International, where I've been interviewing Karine Chandock and uh, Andrew van der Berg, late of, uh, of Formula E. Uh, Told us very quickly to check the phone, so we uh, we watched the uh, we watched on uh, Karun's iPhone the the collision, which was uh, interesting stuff. So, what what do you make of it, Alex? How did it happen, and what's been the fallout? Well, first of all, I imagine you gave Karun a suitable stick, as you often do on these podcasts. Said, uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was very very dramatic. You know, Antonio Felix da Costa won last time out in Saudi Arabia, which was pretty, quite a lucky win, really, because Tatita was looked like they were on for a one-two uh, before they got their penalties. But here. Uh, they were at the front uh, again it, it was a slight element of fortune for that happening because even before the first the, that dramatic collision between the BMWs uh, Jean-Eric Verne the reigning champion had got off the line uh, and made an incredibly late move lunge down the inside of Sam Bird at turn one spun out and fell to the back of the pack uh, but the two, the two BMWs uh, fought their way up uh, they got into a one-two position, haven't got ahead of Sandbirds. And then they looked like they were edging clear and were in a race-winning position. They had a gap of, uh, about, I think it was approximately four seconds over uh, the chasing pack behind, which included Bird and Frines and eventual uh, winner Dan Brosio. But then that gap got eroded as, uh, as the others used their attack modes uh, to get into the higher power settings and close in on them. And then it, it did appear that Sims was all over to Costa. He later said afterwards that uh, Sims was the faster driver in, in Marrakesh and that... Um, what he should have done was was let him was accept that he'd lost the lost the corner and lost the race. Maybe he was gone a bit, you know. He should have just let him by. He shouldn't have tried to uh, defend as hard as he did. He locked up. Uh, they did come together. Uh, De Costa ended up in the barrier. Sims was able to carry on and finish fourth, but that's you know that it's, it's such an implosion. It's rule number one in motorsport: you don't beat your teammate, especially not when you're in a winning, winning position. Uh, what was amazing to hear on the team radio afterwards was how calm Sims was. He was immediately reporting his energy levels. There was no didn't lose focus. He's not fl- flustered, not flapped. He's got on with it and uh, secured the best result that he could. Then uh, then afterwards, De Costa held his hands up. He said, you know, I wanted to crawl into the biggest hole I could find in Marrakesh as he stood at the side of the track. Uh, he apologised to the team. He apologised to Sims. Uh, both drivers indicated that perhaps team orders could have been a better option for BMW. They should have thought, you know, OK, we might not get a 1-2 here, but we should at least secure the win with Sims. Uh, but, you know, that's not that's not an official position, but that's sort of what, what they were perhaps hinting at. So, yeah, uh, a, a pretty a pretty bad pretty bad day for BMW when it could have been so good. No, very much so, isn't it? If they'd won the first two races of the season, that would have been a, a remarkable start to them. But Jake, what did, what did you make of it? Because I did notice, I watched the, the race quite some hours after, but I watched it in, in full. And we saw early in the race, uh, if memory serves, De Costa went past Sims and Sims was sort of compliant in that. So it does it does seem like what we've got there is sort of Sims, the ultimate 
calm professional in Antonio Felix da Costa, who's a, he's a really quick driver and a, and a sensible guy, but sometimes in the past we've seen his judgment hasn't always been been perfect. So is, is that the sort of difference we saw between the, the two drivers and their ability to inhabit the same bit of track? I think it's the definition of the difference between the two drivers, really. Um, you know, we, we've met Sims before. Uh, you've done a podcast with him. You know, he's a consummate professional. And, of course, as Alex says, after the incident, you know, he carried on. Um, I think what I would say is uh, when everybody was taking their tap notes at the end of the race under the safety car, um, I think he knew, given that BMW had uh, DaCosta's I don't know, transponder data and where he was, he, they perhaps knew that DaCosta's car wasn't moved off the circuit. So he could afford to take the attack mode a lap later and then have something when the safety car went in. So I think everyone thought at the time that perhaps Sims had, uh, had wasted it and the safety car wasn't going to come come in, but I think they played it pretty well. Um, yeah, DaCosta was uh, very impatient. He said after the race that, you know, this, how he bounces back from this is whether it's going to define whether the team takes the championship or not. Uh, it is a long game, although it's a short, shorter season compared to perhaps Formula One is. You know, you still have to take everything race by race and think, you know, if second is the best I can realistically achieve, then I'm not going to push it too hard because that's how you build a championship rather than trying to win every single race and losing it. Off track, Alex, what was the team's kind of demeanour? What were they saying? Were they quite quick to put a lid on it and think because these things can spiral out of control can't they so I guess the fact Antonio Felix da Costa to his credit took the blame for it allowed them to kind of shut it down and get it under control a bit more easily than than perhaps some other teams might have done completely I mean from what I saw they think they're a pretty united front I know that uh, team principal Roger Griffiths and both drivers were straight on the TV feed as I was writing up my race report uh, yeah from you know it's the, the, the message is it should never have happened and, and, and it won't happen again whether that means team orders uh, we'll have to find out I haven't actually spoken to Roger uh, 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 before we've recorded this podcast uh, I will make sure I do that um, but it, you know they've got to say that in a, in a championship as competitive as Formula E and as close as Formula E is perhaps perhaps team orders would be a good thing for BMW we don't want to see it as racing fans we don't want to see that you know, no, no one's a winner when that happens. But from their point of view, they've got to be thinking about it. Well, you say no one's a winner when that happens, but Jerome D'Ambrosio, of course, was for Mahindra. That's his third Formula E win. It's actually the first. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have won if there'd been team orders, though. Ed, would it? Well, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have done. He wouldn't have done. That's uh, that's very very true. But this is the, this is the first time he's actually crossed the line and taken the chequered flag as the winner. His previous two uh, victories came after Lucas Degrassi was uh, was excluded. In fact, I was at Berlin Tempelhof in the first season when D'Ambrosio won after after Lucas was excluded. And Jerome D'Ambrosio now, I think, was it a twelve point championship lead he has? So, you know, good start to the season for for him and Mahindra. Uh, first, I guess we should quickly look at the the little sprint at the end because it was quite dramatic. The uh, there was a point where it looked like Jerome might might lose out. He had Robin Freund, Sam Bird, and of course Alexander Sims chasing him. So uh, he he had to work for it, even though it was only a short sprint to the flag. He did. He appeared to have a little gap as they came across the line for the first time. But he he said it, he said afterwards that he was a little bit conservative through the first two sectors, which allowed Freund to, to close up. And they were so close to the top four. You know, I'm surprised there wasn't wasn't contact. Just, just as nose to tail as we often see in Formula E. Uh, Freund could have had a look. He looked like he was close enough. And he's a very exciting driver. And he's not afraid to go for a gap. Uh, he sort of said afterwards, "Do I regret not doing that?" Yeah, I do. But at the same time, he sort of it's a bit of a contradictory message. He was like, "Yeah, I regret not going for the win and not getting the win." But 
you know, also they didn't get any points last time out of Saudi Arabia and then Virgin just got a double podium finish uh, here because he, you know, they, 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 they took the sensible option and secured second place. So it was, it was tremendously dramatic. There were plenty of cheers going on around from where we were sat. Uh, and, and yeah, it was, it, it was, a, it was a stunning drive from, from, from those guys in that final lap shootout. Uh, as you say, I mean, D'Ambrosio's got 40, point, 40 points now in the championship. That's a 12 point lead over, uh, to Costa and Verne, who retired on 28. Now, would anyone have thought that it was going to be a Mahindra driver leading after the first two races, considering how good Audi were last season, how good DS were in testing, how good Verne has been over the past sort of 18 months, two years in Formula E? I don't, I don't think anyone would, so credit to them. Uh, he was right in the mix in both races. Uh, perhaps probably, you know, there's an element of luck to go in. We've got to acknowledge that. With what happened to Tita in Saudi Arabia, what happened to Verne at the first corner here, and what happened to the BMW uh, collisions. And I spoke to Dilbad, the team principal, and he was like, yeah, we're absolutely delighted, but at the same time, we know we, we, wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have had this race win. We, but you've got to be in it to win it. And that's exactly what they did. So well done to them. Well, I guess we should wind back to the start of the race. You mentioned the the Verne incident at the start, which struck me as a very un-John Eric Verne moment. I was very surprised when I when I saw it happening because it was it wasn't sort of a marginal one. It was just a it was just a big error. Was it one of those things that he was genuinely trying to make a move, or was it an incident where he just broke brakes a little bit late and had to try and turn it into a into a pass in an attempt to to stay on the track, as it were? Uh, so he said he was trying to do what he did in the second race in New York last year, which he went on to win. He got a lightning start uh, in New York. He dive-bombed Sebastian Boemi at the first corner with a very late move, squeezed by on the inside, got through, went on and won the race. Now, he didn't actually get as good a start as Bird here. Looked like Bird uh, was held the lead off the line. He moved over to the left and he looked like he, looked like he had the position covered. But, but everyone, I was thinking, like, right, that's it. He's, he's, he's secured turn one. And then uh, Vern suddenly appears down the inside, almost looked out of control. And he said, when I spoke to him afterwards, he said, I was, I was just an idiot. He said he, he was trying to do what he did to Boemi. Didn't come off this time. Obviously, it's a new car. Maybe he's not quite as used to how it, how it handles at Turn 1 in these conditions because it's only the second race. And, and it cost him. It cost him the win because we've looked at, we looked at the pace. At the end of lap one, he's just about 10 seconds off the lead. He's right at the back of the pack. That, that gap from the first to Jean-Eric Verne never exceeds 15.8 seconds. Sorry, 15.5 seconds. And he closes that gap all the while fighting other drivers around him to 4.8 seconds before the BMWs collide. So he obviously had the pace and he knows he had the pace. And he said afterwards, you know, I didn't need to win it at the first corner considering the pace that I had. So that's two wins that John Eric Byrne could have won in two races. Well, and Jake, looking at the performance of the technical cheaters, as I like to call them, we talked after Saudi Arabia about how they look like the strongest car in, in race conditions. And again, that did seem to be the case today. We also saw Lotter making some making some passes uh, passes early on. So clearly, even though the results haven't been as strong as they should have been for them, that, that team is still kind of the one you could say, if you want a car for race for the race, that's that's the one you want, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, and that is, I was piggybacking on what Alex said, that is a race that Jean-Eric Byrne probably could have and should have won if he hadn't been a little bit so... I don't know, it was a desperate move at the first corner and I don't really understand it. It's bizarre. It's something that you do in the heat of the moment and you've got no other options. But you can't win the race at the first corner. You can lose it, but you can't win it. And of course, if he just hung back and you know, taken some attack mode a bit later, he would have got past Bird and probably sailed off into a lead. And we wouldn't be talking about two BMWs colliding. We'd be talking about how Vern absolutely dominated the race. Um, there's some trick bits on that DS they've got their own break by wire system uh, I spoke to their technical chief 
across the weekend and he said it's not the main factor of why they're so good but it's a very complete package it's got a lot of cues from old Citroen race projects and what they've been developing uh, with their electrical powertrain over the last few years and they're really reaping the rewards from it and yeah it's the most complete package on the grid for sure. That's interesting. You said uh, when you when you when you came back from that interview, it's from the Citroen Valley project from yeah. about fifteen years ago, right? Yeah. So back then they had this uh, anti-lock braking system, and it was then banned in WRC. But it's proprietary material that Citroen kept to themselves. And when this project came back and uh, brake by wire systems was introduced in the Gen Two car, they said, "Oh, we've got this massive data bank of resource that we just tap into." build on and develop a product from and it seems to be reaping rewards for them and of course Citroen and, and uh, DS are part of the PSA group so that's, that's why I'm going to link to them they've got the same uh, motorsport base at uh, Versailles just outside of Paris yeah and I think the, the interesting thing about about that is we see how strong the, the package is so I could almost not necessarily forgive but you could almost understand Jeff making that move at the start if he was in a car that he really needed to get track position straight away and then try and hang on to it because he didn't necessarily have the quickest race car, but th- no, no car has looked kind of more capable in terms of overtaking and, and making moves. So it just it just seems really at odds with what we've seen from Jeff in, in in the past 18 months. He's come on leaps and bounds of the drive. He's been driving brilliantly. We've rightly lauded him. I mean, is, is it just one of those things that you say, hey, everyone makes a mistake once in a once in a blue moon? Or is it indicative of, of, of anything else? Do we just, do we just shrug, shrug it off and say, yeah, just an error or... Was he trying too hard? Was there that feeling that he needed to make sure he won the second race of the season and just got a little bit too overexcited? Well, he really hasn't made that many mistakes, particularly in races, especially all throughout season four. The mistakes came in qualifying or practice. It was very rarely in the race. Now, I do wonder, and this is not based on anything, it's just perhaps me putting two, two, two and two together and getting an, an interesting line for a podcast. But maybe he was thinking, maybe he was still in season four mode. He, saw, as he said afterwards, you know, last year I was just thinking about overtaking and now I appear to have become the king of overtaking from the first two races in season five. So maybe it was just that, right, at the start of the Formula E race, I need to get to the front and I need to defend. But in that split second, he, he, he didn't think about what an amazing car he had. He said, after, like I said, he said, I didn't need to win the race at the first corner. Now, the, the man who tapped Sam Bird, you could understand making that move because Virgin, you d- we didn't know how that was going to perform. It was an amazing pole position. He got pole position with, he had a little bit of diffuser damage after there was a shunt in the pit lane involving uh, Tom Dillman and, and Robin Fryens and, uh, and Sam Bird. Now, we don't know actually how much damage they did. The diffusers on these cars, they're pretty massive, but we've, there's questions about how much downforce they actually generate. Uh, Bird, you know, they, 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 they came back in Saudi Arabia didn't make that many overtaking moves but they came back from the back of the grid which just outside of the top 10 so they didn't know how they were going to perform in the race so you can understand him making that move at the first goal and thinking I've got to get ahead and if I get ahead I might be able to stay ahead but yeah Vern he didn't need to do it and he said I made a mistake I'm going to learn from it and we'll see if a pattern emerges I suspect it won't he was pretty hard on himself afterwards and when push comes to shove, he's still equal second in the championship with Antonio Felix de Costa, who's only 12 points down. He still came through to finish fifth. So it was, uh, while it wasn't the weekend, it, it, the, the, well, the race day, you can't say race weekend really for, for Formula E, while it wasn't the, the race day he wanted, it was still not exactly a catastrophe, was it? 
No, and interestingly, he's got, I believe, I, I could be 100% wrong on this, but I think he's got exactly the same results he had when he won in season four from the first two races. So he finished second to Sam Bird in Hong Kong, then he finished fifth in the second round in Hong Kong. Uh, obviously, we've gone Saudi Arabia and Marrakesh for the first two races of season five. So he's got the same results that he achieved last time when he won. Difference is uh, that Demosio is a little bit out in front, but then that's the same with uh, Bird and Rose and Chris this time last year. And of course, it wasn't the only incident we saw at the, the start. We also saw Lucas Degrassi getting himself into a little bit of trouble with uh, he did seem to get caught out by uh, the 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 braking and sort of put his car into a gap because that's where he had to go and then just run out of run out of room interesting mistake from him and also interesting to see the the comparative performance of the the two Audi power trained cars certainly the, the works Audi team the app team struggling a bit indeed I mean I, I'm afraid I haven't actually spoken to Lucas everyone seems to be in a bit of a hurry to get out of here last night but I'm, I'm told he is at the track for the test so I'm going to Pinning down later on after I've spoken to uh, his boss Alan McNish as well. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, there, uh, I think Mahindra, particularly Pascal Verlam, was very unhappy with what happened at the first corner because it led to him retiring from his finally making his Formula E debut, having missed out in Saudi Arabia, and he's, he doesn't make it beyond the first corner. Really, got out of the car and absolutely walloped something in the garage. Uh, so yeah, not not used to what we're seeing from Lucas. Um, and then he had a bit of damage on the nose cone and, and the front wing. Again, as we say, the, these cars don't really generate enough downforce for that to be a massive issue. But I'm sure it will have had some sort of effect. Um, we do know that Audi said that they felt he was in the podium battle. Uh, he ended up finishing uh, down in seventh place, but just the way the attack mode activation strategy worked out and also the timing of the safety car, Audi feels that that really cost him. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they felt that he could have been up there in, in with a shout of the podium. But what's interesting, um, I saw a line come out from Alan McInnes that he says that, yeah, it's not what they want. Again, it's a second race where you've got to say Audi have underperformed, but they know that their basic powertrain works because of what the Virgins achieved. You know, second and third, bird top qualifying. There is pace in that, and there is pace in that powertrain too. Mm. Uh, and Jake, perhaps you should use your technical expertise to explain a little bit of why it's possible for a team with a, with the same powertrain. I mean, Virgin is a is a good team. They've been strong throughout Formula E previously with with DS, of course. Why is there that room to manoeuvre with the uh, with the powertrains that one team can get a little bit more out of it than the than the works team? Well, I think first of all, this is quite a curious case as well because a customer team it gets less testing, and you know you you have all the manufacturer teams you know running their own programs, and Virgin can't do that. The Cheetah weren't able to do that last year, so it's a bit strange that on the face of it that you know Virgin have got most out of the package, but it's down to what the engineers do. Uh, you know, back at base. Of course, they're working very closely with Audi, but uh, Virgin Racing themselves, they've got engineers who can influence the software they use, who can influence, you know, the setup of the cars, that kind of thing. And they just seem to have hit this sort of, tapped into this gold vein and uh, apt run Audi team doesn't seem to have been able to quite grab that. Um, I was speaking to uh, the Virgin team boss, Sylvain Felipe, the other day, and yeah, he was, you know, absolutely delighted with how things are currently going uh, he spoke very highly of his own engineers but of Audi's as well and of the quality of the product and he said look if we get everything right we've got a fantastic powertrain that we can take advantage of so it's a lot of it is down to how the individual teams deal with it how the engineers are able to you know access what power it's got really it's, it's interesting I, I spoke to Sylvan as well and, uh, and I, I learned that uh there's areas of the Audi powertrain that Virgin don't have access to. They don't know what's in it. They don't, and he said, we don't need to know. You know, we just need to, we need to know the software and we need to know how to make it work, but we don't actually need to know what's in it. So maybe there's something in there that Audi uses differently. 
Who knows? That, that, that is literally just me just speculating. I guess you could argue that there's some simplicity as well in terms of what Virgin are doing with it because they're not having to worry so much about some of the other aspects of it. So maybe if you're given something, it's your job to get the best out of it. It makes the problem just a little bit little bit narrower. Perhaps that's part of it, but it could just be a very good team doing a, doing a very good job. What did you make of, of the Degrassi moment at, at the start? Is that just 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 another that that looked like a more just straight mistake uh to me in terms of just getting caught out yeah it's not something we we often see from him really uh it, and it had it had pretty it had pretty dire consequences from from talking to some of the people in the paddock obviously we saw what happens with verline but it also affected the jaguars uh mitch evans and sebastian Buemi as well in the, in the nissan were, were sort of trying to avoid john eric verne but it, it sort of triggered everything uh, in the pack, and then actually, there was there was a further incident right at the back of the field that involved the two HWA teammates, Stoffel Van Dorn and Gary Paffett, coming together, and both of them had to retire as a result. Uh, team boss Ulrich Fritz said it was an absolute disaster for the team, and it's not what they need. They're only two races now into their Formula E life, um, and it's not you know it's not it's not they've not got any points. They've not been in in the fight at all. Stoffel Van Dorn qualified highly in Saudi Arabia, but it's not been a good start, has it? Yeah, tough one. Especially, it was interesting to see Toto Wolff was there, of course, who was uh, started off as an investor in HWA, and James Fowles, the Mercedes F1 chief strategist, was there. So, perhaps not the uh, not the ideal weekend uh, with Fenton Fern, but it does seem like I've got quite a lot of, of work to do. Uh, Sebastian Buemi, he was delayed a little bit. He had to go round the long way round, didn't he, at the at the start? Uh, again, Nissan Edams eighth place for Buemi. We expect a bit more from from that team and driver based on their historic performance. Where's Where's Edam's Nissan at now? Well, it's interesting speaking to him afterwards because often when Buemi has a result like this, you speak to him and he is he's absolutely miserable and understandably so because he expects a lot and and it didn't come across. But here he was really he seemed to be in a very 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 positive frame of mind. He, he, he was very pleased with the pace that Nissan showed. He said, you know, we had the same pace as the leaders. We could have been in there. He was just like turn one cost us, and they did. They lost about ten positions. He was sort of uh, around third and fourth with uh, with Evans when when Vern came careering across the track, and and yeah. So you got to say, hopefully Nissan are right in the mix. That will make a lovely close championship fight and and, and good at, good battle at the front of the races. But that's an interesting point to bring back to what we were saying about Audi and Virgin, because when we raised a very good point, which he said, you know, we've got a lot of updates here. And that has made a difference. He was really pleased about the positive step that Nissan had made. But he said, we also introduced other problems by doing that. And he said they had a, a regen problem during the race that hampered them slightly. So maybe that's something that Audi are doing as well. They're, they're trying to bring developments and bring fixes. And it's also leading them down the wrong path, potentially. And, and looking in general terms, do we feel that now, because we talked to pre-season testing, we had your excellent long run uh, race pace prediction yeah, times. That, and, uh, that, went, that went well. <laughs> and then we had some... No, no Neos in the top 10 again. Yep, I know. <laughs> and then we had some sort of provisional conclusions from Saudi, but the way that weekend went meant it was all a little bit with an asterisk by it. We've seen some of what we saw in Saudi confirmed by what's in Marrakesh, but do you sort of feel now we've got a, a shape for the season with the technical cheaters being very strong in race conditions, BMW being quick, and then maybe DS being being third in the row with Mahindra in there as well hanging on what how, what's your sort of shape of the, of the season so far well it's the pattern is that the BMWs can qualify very well uh, Virgin got amongst it in Marrakesh with Sandberg's amazing pole position lap uh, DS to teach her a little bit further back within the race they're just on another level and again it seems to be the, it seems to be the same thing as we said Virgin closed the gap and he, he got past everyone with 
with relative ease. You know, he said obviously I had to fight for it, but it appeared that they were just uh, on another level when it came through for Vaseline. Lottery made his way up from the very back of the wheel. He made a mistake in qualifying, we think, and and it cost them again. So DS and Cheetah look like they're well out in front. Everybody else is in a massive scrum behind them. But it's great to see guys like Dan Brogio, uh, Jose Maria Lopez from Dragon, that they can get in there and, and get amongst it. And that seems to be the shape where we're at. So DS and Cheetah a little bit further in front, everyone else in a big scrum behind, which is, uh, which is good. And it's very positive, as we talked about before, that for these new cars and new powertrains things are so close what what do you make of it jake this is the first time i think you've had the chance to see these gen 2 cars and the powertrains that are up close are you surprised that we've got such a, a a tight spread should we say yeah there's people at the front and people at the back but we have we don't see one team absolutely acing it we've got a nice a nice balance of uh of, sort of performance sensitivities with some cars stronger in qualifying some cars stronger in race space and it, it makes for a, a really nice mix and some and some really great racing yeah, absolutely. I th- it's fantastic to see, you know, all of these different design solutions sort of come together and they're still very, very close. I think generally everyone's converged on a single motor, single gear kind of setup. Um, everyone's worked out how to get the most out of a, a single gear in, you know, all corners and straights and every configuration possible. So we, ex- we think that we believe that Nissan is running two motors uh, and they're the only team that's doing that at the moment. But still, they're still amongst the mix. Um, you know, it's hard to say what what resources the teams have and who's going to come out in the season on top, who's able to develop a, a little bit more than the rest. But yeah, it's such so fantastic to just see all of these 10 teams just so close, or 11 teams, sorry, come close and race each other. It, the on-track product was absolutely fantastic yesterday. Uh, and yeah I think it's such a good advert for the series you've got all of these manufacturers fantastic racing I don't really know what else more you would really want from it uh, you mentioned the the fact that they're going single gear perhaps you can explain that a little bit more seeing as you are our resident technical expert I mean that does sound to those of us who are used to traditional engines that seems very counterintuitive you assume that's not not going to work obviously there are characteristics of these these uh, these powertrains that means it's very suited to that so perhaps you could dig into that a little bit more yeah, absolutely. So these electric motors, um, what we know about an electric motor is it pretty much delivers instantaneous torque, so these cars are able to get off the line very, very quickly. But when it comes to coming out of a slow corner or something, in the past, teams have used very, very short-range gears to drop the motor power up, motor speed a little bit, get the best exit out of these corners, and then go into a higher gear, and then they're able to make most of the, the peak power that the motor has to offer. But going to a single gear that suggests that every team has found you know a strong wide peak range of power from these motors and that they're able to just access it uh, at any corner really um in the first season of formula e everybody was using a five-speed gearbox and the same motor and then it's just sort of the number of gears have just dropped over the years um so yeah there is has been this convergence but again internal components and that kind of thing that's where it's going to differ so yeah i think i I hope that's a satisfactory explanation of what they're trying to do no that's very good you you can keep your job um (laughs) and i guess i guess finally jake how much do you expect to see the development war going through the season obviously they can't 
uh, change the the hardware, but all the software stuff is there's a huge amount of performance in that, isn't there? And, and teams are really working hard to find the best configurations to to run in to to get the best performance. So there's, there seems to be quite a lot of opportunity still for things to move around because these are still quite immature uh, powertrain packages. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's with the Gen Two car. I mean, there of course there's been some carryover with technology from before, but it is completely different. And they have this brand new larger capacity battery to take advantage of. They're able to use 250 kilowatts now rather than a maximum of 200. So it's still, as you say, it's still immature. They're still learning a lot. And it could be that the teams further down the grid, maybe they've not unlocked something. It's impossible to say. You know, we've seen this weekend that the Venturi runners, so Venturi and HWA, had huge problems with accessing their 250 kilowatt. Uh, mode for example uh, I think all of them pulled over at one point came to a stop and had to reset over the weekend but maybe they've got something we don't know it's it's a little bit of a secret you know there's uh, it's a bit of a treasure chest I'm sure with maybe there's some rewards and maybe teams have reached the top of their development curve we just don't know at this particular stage hmm. No it's going to be fascinating to follow during the season uh, Alex, looking off track, we did see one other big name there in Max Verstappen, who seems to have been sent to the Marrakesh Formula E race as a, as a form of punishment, which is a, a, a sort of a few drivers on Twitter commenting that was a slightly strange form of punishment. Of course, this was for the incident with Esteban Ocon and Interlagos. I'm not talking about the on-track one, but what happened after with the, the shoving match uh, just after the race. So what exactly was, was that about? Is it as as strange as it seems or is there something underpinning the reason for him being there is, is there a little bit more paying penance perhaps than there otherwise would be yeah now it's interesting you say we saw him here because we didn't see him here I didn't I saw Nick DeVries but not Max Verstappen because <laughs> uh, Nick DeVries is now out on track on, in, in the rookie test for Virgin Racing and um, I kept glancing by up at race control every time I walked by hoping to see him uh, see him up against the window watching what was going on but uh, I, I never did and, and at one point I was like you know is this all we do live in the era thanks to Donald Trump of hashtag fake news what, what could be going on here but uh, I have seen a picture of him in race control with the stewards and he, and he sat there uh, observing proceedings uh, Tanya Liuzzi the former uh, Red Bull driver was with him he was the driver's stewards representative for this race here in Marrakesh. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting move by the FIA. I, I like it. I like what the FIA have done. I, I, I struggle to see how Formula E benefit from it because, as you say, it comes across... They were very keen to point out it's not a, it's not a punishment to attend the Formula E race. You can understand you can understand them saying that, of course, but it, it, that's what it looks like, doesn't it? Like, you can't, you can't really escape that. It's, uh, you know, it's a great initiative getting understanding that there are other people involved in the race that you know this, that's why they take the decisions that they make but yeah all a bit strange really he said it, he said it helped him though he said it, it was constructive uh, for himself so maybe he liked Formula E as well he said he did so hopefully he'll be back in the future it is interesting because when I first heard he was there I kind of assumed that the FI had sent him there to promote one of their championships I thought we'd see him put up in a press conference saying how brilliant Formula E is and that we'd see him wandering around on the grid and trying to add some interest but actually the fact he wasn't almost means I take it a little bit more seriously. Clearly, it's not really a punishment to hang around at a Formula E race for a weekend. And I, I do wonder if maybe the fact that he sees what the stewards do, how how they approach their work. Stewards nowadays at FI Championships are very professional in the way they, they do things. Perhaps that might make him a little bit more understanding of what's going on 
it's always good to, for people to broaden kind of their their outlook and see things from a, from a different perspective. So I guess that's what they're hoping that it'll make him in the future someone who's perhaps a little bit more steward friendly, should we say? But I do, I do think it's strange that the sort of message it sends out to other drivers and the fact we saw a few a few drivers commenting on it on Twitter and being a bit surprised it might not necessarily send out the right wider message in terms of just him being there. But maybe for Max individually, it could make a difference. Well, hopefully. And if I'm right, it's not the first time the FAA have sort of done this. It's the first time they've brought a driver to another race series to observe what's going on. But I believe Sebastian Vettel, part of his punishment for hitting Lewis Hamilton in Baku in 2017, came to an FIA stewards conference or something like that. Could be completely wrong. Yeah, they, they do a stewards conference every year where they go over precedence and that kind of thing it's one of the one of the many things they've done to to improve things so yeah i guess uh i i, I somehow can't see max verstappen at every opportunity next time he's pulled up for something praising the stewards necessarily but or going well I, in formula e they did this so why aren't we doing this in f1 yeah exactly that'll just be a uh, demanding formula e e standards uh what else was, was going on how did felipe massa getting uh, get on obviously he's a, a big name driver that people are interested in and had a few good moments in saudi but uh on paper the result wasn't great yeah, so as Jake alluded to, there was a few technical issues for the Venturi team during practice and qualifying, and then he finished last of the uh, runners that finished the race in, in 18th place. Um, I, I read afterwards there from, from, from the Venturi statement that they had some sort of energy uh, management, energy recovery problem during the race that hampered, that hampered their cars. Uh, Eduardo Motara got to the finish. He had braking issues in Saudi Arabia that caused him to hit the barriers in the first lap. Those seemed to be being cured. Um, so yeah, not quite as high profile for, for Felipe Massa, but... Uh, yeah, he was also getting, he was also got got a bit of stick from his uh, his uh, his rivals on track during practice for perhaps not getting out of the way in a in a manner in which they would have liked. But, but there we go. <laughs> and we should maybe talk a, a little bit about uh, what's going on on track before we sign off. What so who's out? We mentioned uh, Jake's old friend from F two, Nick DeVries, is uh, is out. Who's who's new? So also joining Nick DeVries at Virgin is Benoit Trulier. I'll probably pronounce his name terribly, you know, I do this. Uh, he's the Triple Le Mans winner in at Virgin. We've got Jamie Green at Audi alongside their regular test driver, Nico Muller. Uh, Jake Hughes was announced this morning as the, the GP3 race winner from this year. He's testing at Neo alongside uh, Jamie Chadwick, who was also at the rookie test in, uh, sorry, at uh, uh, the, um, the, the test in Saudi Arabia where he had to, had to have a female driver if he wanted to run an extra car. Uh, at Cheetah, we've got James Rossiter and Tatiana Calderon, who was also in Saudi Arabia. Um, as we came out onto the balcony, and I, honestly, I, I can't feel my fingers now. It's getting it's, it's still pretty cold in the shade, even though the sun's out. And it does look glorious here with the Atlas Mountains at the, at the back there at Turn 1. Um, James was at the top of the timesheets when we came out, but that was a good sort of half an hour, 35 minutes ago. Um, who have we got down the pit lane? We've got Spengler and Whitman in at BMW. Dragon, there was some speculation that Felipe Nazza was going to run there, but we don't believe that's going to happen at this stage as we talk right now. We've still got Antonio Fuoco, who is the official test driver in the car. Uh, Venturi have got their reserve driver, Norman Nato. And uh, Charles Leclerc, 2019 Ferrari Formula 1 driver, is not here. It's his little brother, Arthur, who's French Formula 4 driver from last year. I'm glad, I'm glad Jake laughed. I hope someone else I feel like you were hanging on to that all weekend. I as we know, I like to repair lines for podcasts. <laughs> we, we should um, edit it out just to punish you <laughs> fine I, I probably deserve that uh, anyways uh, who else have we got going down the grid HWA have got uh, Danny Candela and Raffio Marcelli very highly rated single season driver he's around uh, and Mahindra have got a very recently former Sergei, former F1 driver Sergei Sorokin in their car and their other driver escapes me at the moment it will um, it will come back it's to Dion, me it's Dion isn't it 
is a deal. Yeah. Okay. As you can see, utterly professional as ever. Excellent. I was, I was thinking you're just going to look into the distance and hope they drove past to, uh, to remind you. Uh, annoyingly, the, the Virgins haven't got, uh, their, haven't got the, the, the demarcation on, on theirs. So uh, hopefully the Mahindras do when they come past. But I have seen Sorokin. He's definitely out. I, was, I, I almost walked into him in the paddock yesterday, which is a bit embarrassing. But, but Twice. Yeah, in the same movement, we sort of kept going, <laughs> going towards each other and then away as we were trying to... Uh, he came out of a barrier that had been opened and we were trying to get through it and it was all a bit... And I also didn't realise it was so guys rocking. Uh, so, yeah. Just got, <laughs> good stuff. got this image of you pinballing around the paddock, which uh, causing all manner of destruction. Well, we were, we'd been out watching during uh, free practice one and it was it was so cold. We couldn't feel it. I, I certainly couldn't feel my outer extremities. So uh, maybe it was just a bit of lack of feeling about what was going on at that point. And we were watching it. We were watching it right next to uh, World Touring Car racer Tiago Montero as well, which was quite nice. Nice for him to... I don't think he was there to see us, but he was there. Uh, it was quite interesting to see, actually. Quite interesting to see the cars moving around. Uh, some cars are more planted than others. It's good to go out on track and watch a little bit of the action. Mm. And when we were right there, uh, there was a, there was a great bump on the exit of, of turn six, and it was absolutely deafening when the cars were hitting the floor. Ah, oh, we didn't talk about Nissan, and Nissan's just gone, gone by. Uh, they've got uh, their uh, test reserve drivers, Jan Mardenbra and uh, Minta Shuri Takaboshi. I hope that I pronounced his name right. Apologies, man. Um, so yeah, that was helpful. They come past, then come past in the pit lane. Yes, and, um, and what was interesting about that bump was that again we saw after practice there were a number of teams getting fines for this regen energy spike that we know can be caused by running over the bumps, but that didn't happen in the race. They obviously got their software. Um, Ed, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to go now. I've got to go and speak to Alan. Minish yes, in five I was anticipating us wrapping up. Um, just wanted to finish off what's going on today, so we'll, we'll let you get on. So thanks very much, Alex Kalinorkas, and thanks also to Jake Boxall Leg. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Well, for more on the Formula E Marrakesh weekend, head to autosport.com. Lots of news from Alex Kalinorkas and Jake Boxall Leg coming through on there. Also, please check out our Plus subscriber area, where for a small fee, you can read the world's best motorsport journalists on all manner of topics. Check out Autosport Magazine out on Thursday, which will have Alex's very in-depth and detailed race analysis of everything that happened in Marrakesh. Please check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing, out monthly, and Motorsport News, out weekly. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.